Welcome to Dancers FAQ, the podcast that gives you health information, keys for action and motivation, as well as tips for your career and well-being. My name is Alex Renier and I'm very excited to share all of that with you, artists, athletes and dancers. Hi guys, you're listening to the episode number 13 of Dancers FAQ. Today, my guest is Irene Spozetti, a multidisciplinary performing artist and contact improvisation teacher within universities, dance schools, festivals and cultural institutes. She has spent the past 20 years traveling the world to deepen her research and share her dance. Her main focuses are presence, connection, intuition and effortless motion. Contact improv has been around for years, but I have a feeling that it became more popular in the last six eight years. Here is a little introduction to this style, its philosophy and principles. Enjoy! Welcome, Irene, on Dances FAQ. Today we're going to talk about contact improvisation. So I will start with a very, very broad question. What is contact improvisation? Meaning, where does it come from? Where was it created? And who created this style? I'm not the most expert, <laughs> but uh, of course, like it's um, it's a style, or like let's say, is a research that starts in the 70s in the States and comes from a group of contemporary performer performing artists. So it's born as a research, as a research on dynamic of the body emotion in an improvisational frame. It was a pretty like dynamic and rough, I would say, research on like collapsing bodies and falling. And so somehow kind of what they are, the instinctual, I think, managing of body uh, when they are facing like um, intense situation. And in fact, imagine body collapsing into one another and then falling and then collapsing and then crashing, jumping, crashes. And so that's somehow that the, the that iconic image of the beginning having that research made by contemporary dancers modern dancers and over the years this research uh, became I think more and more not codified but still like uh, it created kind of a current of somatic improvisational research including this partnering aspect to it partnering is one of the fundamental aspect of contact in which bodies are relating touching skin to skin slash weight so there is like a structural weight exchange in dynamics in motion between bodies and how this somehow develops what are the outcome of that encounter of bodies more or less acrobatic more or less static even like we can't even talk about contact technique contact style I think the peculiarity that is always defining also contact is the fact that the people that started this research didn't want to codify it. So it never entered into rule set method, but it stayed since the beginning until now as an open source, a research to which everyone can contribute and transform and evolve, but it is not uh, sealed and neither owned by anyone. So I think that this makes the practice very alive and always like around the process of research rather than a definition of a method. And knowing that it was created by performing artists, is there a wish to put this style on stage or is it really a style that is only used in a researched way? 
I think both both uh, option both um, are living experiences and manifestation of content improvisation nowadays and over the last 20 years. I think that contact in my knowledge it now enters somehow in this like a postmodern technique in which we we use this um, experiential anatomy and uh, improvisational frame to understand the body further and integrate knowledge of body that then for example is already like in a university I think in the states mainly university accept content improvisation as a, one of the topic mm-hmm. and uh, also a little bit in Europe. So I, I think that contact is informing physical trainings, either in the dance world, academic or not academical, and as well in theater trainings is informing a lot of maybe even creations. Choreographers are using it or are inspired by the, the physical quality and the state of awareness that the, the, the dancer, the performer acquire, and then you can bring it into a piece, into a, even a set choreography. And then on the other side, that is like, uh, I think, the wider scale of what content improvisation is as a practice in itself and the community that has been created around the practice that is definitely not oriented towards performing. It's rather a practice in itself that is like enjoyed as such, um, with different angles, different aspects. And I think then it becomes very individual what is the practice for each person that practices it and each teacher that teaches it mm-hmm. and each community that develops it. So it's somehow there is like a relativeness to it that is like one of the foundation, I think, and one of the characteristics of CI. And a part of the community that I can, I am part of, we are interested and we are engaged in performing arts. So somehow I can have a, a focus on it because it's my interest as a dancer and as a, as a mover. Yeah. I only experienced contact improvisation twice and it was only with amateur dancers or like people that actually never did dance before and that were into other body disciplines like yoga or martial arts. But I was very surprised and I didn't feel so safe because I think it was uh, really a time for exploration I would say but not really a research because you defined like contact improvisation as a research but for me a research has a, a target there is a topic of research so you know where you're going you know that you're exploring within a frame and I did not experience this And I guess there are so many different styles within contact improv and so many ways of leading a contact improv session. I'm really curious about your insight. It's a big topic. And I think that is like different uh, point of view on that, different claims and different needs from different individuals and even like whole communities, different countries. So over the years and over different continent, contact acquired or defined a certain body of knowledge. Uh, which is like recognizable. I mean, if I go in different contexts of contact, they have a certain seriousness to them and depth in the research. There is like some basic um, that I can recognize everywhere apart from the shades, you know, there can be different shades and way of even naming or, or achieving a pedagogic process. I don't know, there can be differences in that, but there is like a body of knowledge that it's common through the countries and through the communities. And this body of knowledge has a lot of research, somatic research, 
physical qualities, techniques, even in order to have like these bodies in relation to perform safely. You just name something that is quite fundamental. If there is like body at place and there is like structure at play and there is like exchange of weight, there is something uh, that require a certain knowledge of the body because we we are <laughs> bound to gravity and because the structure has limits. So yes, there is like a knowledge to it. And I would say, unfortunately, over the years and with this like also spreading of content improvisation in the world and also being appropriated by different communities, then there is a bit of a blurriness, I think, nowadays. And again, with this like openness and not wanting to restrict it to one way, I think that this also give like the back side, like the limitation of that, that then content improvisation, unfortunately, can be everything and nothing. And um, unfortunately, there can be also like very little knowledge of the body itself and even like the physical principles, having a range of, of potential that goes into very acrobatic. So if we play with acrobatic, uh, of course, we would love <laughs> a certain level of knowledge of the body in itself uh, that unfortunately sometimes isn't there. So there is a lot of eagerness uh, from new practitioners and um, a bit loose frames up for the practice in which anything can happen, unfortunately. <laughs> then I also want to name that the jam, these jam sessions, it's born as an open space for practice. So jam session is the place where you go in any cities that has a community in which you can go and practice CI. So a jam session probably is the most loose of all the frames in which you would meet all sorts of like movers, more or less experience, often not experienced at all. And then with all the risk, I would say, involved in, in, in sharing a practice in a context, this is very wide and without leadership. So there is not containment and it's like <laughs> left is like go in the ocean and, and, and swim. Do you like what you're hearing so far? Make sure you never miss a show by clicking the button subscribe right now. This podcast is made possible by listeners like you. Thank you for your support. Now back to the show. Knowing that this is a research, do contact improvisation movers have also academic material? Do they publish things? Do they push the research out of the studio or out of the place where they practice to actually write articles? Yeah, I think um, there is um, definitely a part of the, of the community. Again, I can talk about community, maybe it's improper, but a part of the research and part of practitioners and teachers and researchers that are very much in that. Mm -hmm. I think that in the States, again, once again, it's more developed in the sense that I, in my, what I can recall and what I know, I know mostly American teachers and researchers that are actually in academics and are writing books. Mm -hmm rather than European, for example. But with that, I don't want to exclude that also some teacher had an interest on that and wrote something on that, but mainly is from the States. What about yeah. yourself? Do you consider yourself like as an artist, a mover, a researcher as well? All of it. <laughs> yeah. I can, I can definitely say that I am not, I, I never went to, I'm not in the academic world. So definitely I can place myself partly out of it, even though I am informed by it and I'm in relation to it. But uh, I, I do feel like um, sometimes I question myself how much 
is my even personal need of writing about it and sharing about it or like, you know, documenting at which level of seriousness and depth I want to engage myself into documentation and research in a way that is transmissible also in a book or so I think that maybe it's something I'm starting to approach in this period, actually. Do you have a journal? Because each improvisation is different. So each time you practice or each time you teach, it's a unique moment, a unique material that you're sharing. Do you actually keep it somewhere? Yeah, I have a, a long journal journaling um, since, yeah, since I practice, since I teach, to keep a reference of what, mainly to keep a reference of what is done in, this, in that specific time and space with that specific group. I think uh, in the actualization of it, then I see that I, I hardly go back and look at the material in that way in order to find, you know, like uh, some line of work. And I feel that in my experience and the way it manifests through me is that I write, I write, I write. So I have references of things that I, that I do, but it all stays in me very strongly in my body. So I think that my body is my main journal. It's my body, body, mind, consciousness that actually is the main leader of, of my, even pedagogy. So for how much, you know, I can make notes before teaching and I take notes after teaching. But this is just like, I think, uh, a help to me to visualize or to synthesize information. But then at the end of the day, uh, I think that is the improvisational aspect of me, even as a teacher, that makes me walk in an evolutive line uh, each time I teach and I understand deeper and deeper and I invent new way, new form, new shape in order to achieve a certain result or to convey a certain principle that mature in me and outside me at the same time, kind of. So at the end, for me, the writing stays there as a reference, but it's not <laughs> my main reference, really. Mm. That's my experience. And I, even right now, I feel like, what do I do with all this material and all these like years of writing stuff? And how this maybe could be uh, a body of knowledge that is like can be given a, a, as a text to people. Do I have an interest on that? So it's questions I am busy with right now. Yeah. Okay, cool. My last guest was Tina Afianbreyova, and she mentioned the fact that she was willing to perform or research dance outside, you know, take the dance out of the studio. And you practice a lot outside. For the people who are listening, I will put your beautiful Instagram account and any other social media account where we can follow you. And you often record yourself in beautiful places like on the beach, near some lakes, in the mountain. Is this a personal signature or is this something that is within the contact improv practice? I think it's a, it's a, it's a personal and also contingent to the to, to my lifestyle. So I think that with the corona pandemic, especially the relationship to the studio has been a bit uh, questioned or, or limited the access to studio. And so I think that now more than ever before, 
I am more and more evaluating and, and being nourished deeply by being in the elements. So I think that often in my programs, in my trainings, I, I always try to, to bring out the experience. So in Asia, I did that a lot. In China, I did a lot. Even within university, I try to bring the students outside and have a direct connection to the landscapes where we are. And uh, I did a lot of like site-specific performances. And so I think that studio, theater and life, it's something that has to be somehow linked because this is the reality we are and we live in. So to have it limited to one of those places to me, it wouldn't be real, first of all, or like wouldn't be complete. And on the other side, lately, I feel really deeply inspired and nourished by especially natural surroundings. And it feels much more, at this point, real to actually practice, learn and be in a context that is living and is vibrating and there is the sky and there is the air and there is the earth, there is the connection to the earth. So I could say like, yeah, just go out. I mean, it's now I keep saying to people, just go out, just dance, just be movement, be research, uh, be your partner <laughs> or like use the surroundings, use the elements, use the landscapes as your partner, especially in the distancing time. Even I hope when distancing is over, yes, yeah, somehow people can, can empower their practices and their personal research to the body with natural because I think we do belong to all that. So it's, it's yeah, it's, it's just um, maybe a bit of like the um, conditioning from a strong mind-oriented perception of life, body, reality, art, and con coming back a bit to a source that is silent and very wise. <laughs> yeah. I have a very particular question about the use of the gaze. I'm very curious about how you actually use the gaze. Um, for our listeners, like in ballet, you send your gaze where you're going or you look at your hands if you're using pantomime, you know, where you, you, you want to send a message to the audience. Then in that style, uh, flying low and passing through, you're actually always checking your surrounding. You always want to be like 360, you know, and always scan what is around you. And when I watch your videos, I feel that you have sort of an inner gaze and you try to look with your body and then use your eyes to look at yourself. This is really a personal feeling. So I'm really curious and I would like to, to have your explanation on your own style. Proprioception is one of the main reference, I think, of CI. So this capacity of sensing the body and monitor the body through sensing the touch or the dynamicity of the body motion, the body in space, it's one of the main reference. For example, in the process of teaching has to be enabled in the mover slowly and often closing the eyes or um, not emphasize vision can help to sense more and understand the body more into this in this proprioceptive way. But I think that the window has to be always open. This, this eyes that see reality and understand reality also through the vision has to go for me like side by side on this like proprioceptive awareness uh, because if we take away vision in a certain way that means our perception of reality is really limited i think that maybe if you see like eyes that are a little bit absent 
definitely, I don't know if you would see my, my personal eyes watching the ground so much. So my eyes are open, often very wide open, like a window. And they are rather in this 360 degree state in which I acknowledge reality in a more passive way, probably so less intentional and less channeling the focus into a space, a point, but rather like a wide angle. Eyes often are in a wide angle state, uh, observing, sensing, but not coning in. So I think that the coning in sometimes happens, but it happens, I would say, more in a performatic, like more as a creative action rather than a need of my moving dance body consciousness. So, mm. uh, but it's something that I push a lot, for example, in my trainings and when I transmit uh, the practice to others is that eyes have to be open. Yeah. Because if we close the eyes, the tendency is often to just like close the eyes or like really like uh, almost closed, I mean, somehow to, to minimize completely the, the, the vision creates a sort of drowning, drowning in individual awareness that doesn't benefit the practice because the practice is with partners and is in specific places. So like drowning individual sensational, even slash emotional awareness often can become rather like a dragging awareness in a place that is not serving the dance. Mm. So I think it's, it's a constant uh, flow of like feeling, sensing, seeing, being aware, being present. So it's a, it's a skill. I always feel like it's a multitask. You, you have to develop a multitask system and also like you know sometimes I feel like uh, what is in my interest now I can just share like uh, I'm watching myself and saying okay when I see sometimes the seeing locks my head so my mind is active and wants to define or inquire reality when I'm dancing so if I watch a video of mine I can see that sometimes the eyes or the head get too fixed mm -hmm. because they want to grasp reality let's say <laughs> and today I am like nowadays I'm a bit trying to letting the head being more at the service of the center of my body so that my body my center of the body it's rather leader and the head it's easily like following like a hand like a hand mm. uh, with a soft um, wrist so similarly I think that the head at the end of the spine can just play um in a soft way, accompanying the, the whole organization of the body around the center with a soft available spine and this ending that if the mind or the vision is too active, risk to be locked. So this is now I'm questioning with my own body. Okay, I have one last question because I'm looking at the time and we've been already talking for a little while. Yeah. Uh, I'd like to talk about uh, intimacy. How do you bring people into the practice? How I, how I can initiate people to such a level of intimacy that is unusual. Given the fact that content improvisation, the way it, it manifests, it's pretty uh, not ordinary standards of intimacy, let's say this. Yeah? For most of society, I think, West, East, uh, South and North, uh, it's definitely questioning... Um, <laughs> and challenging and, and reorganizing or restructuring what, at which level of intimacy we can relate, allowing a lot of closeness that probably isn't so ordinary. 
with people that you don't know or you haven't chosen or are not your partners or your family members. For me, it's nice with the right timing and also a bit with the intuition to speak about this aspect um, and also the challenges that one can face one once it's asked, okay, now you yeah, just go there and, and stick your pelvis to the pelvis of the other and roll or, you know, uh, allow yourself to be manipulated, closed eyes on the floor by someone else and uh, use their body as a landscape and allow your body to just relax and fall in it. So it can be highly challenging, giving step-by-step process and depending the public to whom I'm teaching. So if I'm teaching, I don't know, in China, in a city uh, or university, I mean, it's wherever, you know, or in India or in Europe, of course, like, so the culture, cultural background also shapes my teaching and the way I talk about it and the way the rhythm that I choose to initiate people to that closeness and intimacy Often I feel like that, again, like to, to be aware of the challenges and to be aware of all a kind of release that we have to do a lot of, lots of conditioning that would prevent us of being so closely in an easy way, in a relaxed way, without having a lot of trauma and anguish or sexual activations or fears. I think it's, it's the intelligence also a bit of a leader that how much you can bring people safely to walk in a new landscape in which they can acknowledge maybe resistances or limitations and slowly um, walk through them and maybe land in a context that is new and in which we can actually allow so much closeness with unknown people and feel safe and be nourished by it without having to label or going into uh, fixed schema of what closeness is or what touch is or what gender is and all the things linked to, to intimacy and touch. Mm-hmm. I think it's a wonderful, powerful aspect of contact, uh, rather liberating, freeing and integrating uh, touch and intimacy for those that practice it is a very nourishing aspect coming back to, to maybe like a very basic need uh, and fulfilling it of closeness and intimacy and touch and sensing each other in a not intellectual way, but more physical, dialoguing with each other through physics, through, through, through bodies instead of even language. It's, a, it's a, a very beautiful, powerful aspect of CI. Irene, where can we find you? So at present, I'm in Italy. I'm in this nice semi-lockdown, <laughs> as most of European countries. You can find me on my website, which is beingmotion.com. There is a link as well to my YouTube channel, where parts of my videos are collected. And then there is a link to my Facebook page, where people can find more like a documentation, more live documentation of projects and program activities done in this last 10-15 years. I have a, a quite young Instagram profile that I'm trying to nourish and then there is like a section in my website that I am slowly building with a more proper or organized documentation of work done in the past 
I'm available as well online by giving classes to privates or groups. The link can be found in my website as well. Yeah. Thank you again, Irene, for being on Dancers FAQ. Thank you very much, Alexis, for inviting and sharing. Thank you for joining me this week on Dances FAQ. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or your favorite broadcasting platform so you'll never miss a show. While you're at it, if you found value to this episode, I'd really appreciate a rating on iTunes or if you'd simply tell a friend about the show. Thank you so much. Bye for now.